Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is the Kingsman to my statesman, Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. What is up, Matt? The sky. Hi, John. Ooh. How on earth are you, my friend? Hey, good dad joke there to start the show. Yes, uh, very good, my friend. I have a I have a cup of tea, as I always do, because um, representing Her Majesty, I have my tea. Uh, John's been showing me some of the treats he's been gorging on, and I am thoroughly jealous of him but i'm good though mate yeah i'm good uh, weekend full of films and looking forward to t- diving into tonight's offering but before that how are you man uh well you know i'm in the middle of a thunderstorm which happens a lot here in florida um i'm hoping that uh matt i i experienced what i can only classify as a miracle um you know i'm teaching hybrid right like so some of my students are in class some of my students are online and we are uh, we're all in a Zoom call, regardless if they're in class or online. Like we're all in the same. Our real classroom is the Zoom classroom, and um, we were in the middle of a call, uh, and the power went out. Right? Okay. Went out for about 15, 20 seconds. Now I'm on a laptop, so the pow- my laptop stays on, but you know I'm assuming the internet's off. I see my router in my classroom is off. All my lights are off. Uh, the three students in the room, they're all like kind of stunned for a second. Lights kick back on. I'm like, well, I guess uh, the Zoom class is dismissed. But sure enough, somehow, my computer stayed connected <laughs> to the internet, even though the router was off and every other teacher around me appears to not have internet, right? Like, I get a text from the person across the hall. I'm like, um, something like is do you uh has the internet come back on i'm like i never lost internet <laughs> she's like what and i'm like i sent a picture i'm like i don't know how I'm but on. i'm still on it's my, not even a hotspot because if everything else is gone you can't tether it to anything right and i i don't i don't have my computer tethered to anything it's literally only connected to the wi-fi i don't know how i don't know what it latched onto but it persisted and i didn't lose contact it got a little laggy but never lost contact with my students that were off campus um it, it was kind of insane, uh, and it's, I don't know what happened, um, but it was crazy. So I'm giving all of that because it's thundering now. So there's always a chance that we're going to lose power, and I'm hoping that this computer does it again. This is a new MacBook, so maybe there's some kind of magic I don't know about. Well, um, if it does yeah. go off, the Miracle Man himself over there, will, it will conjure up something to make sure he still remains somehow online. Right, and unlike you, sir, I am drinking um, cold brew coffee that I poured from a bottle from my refrigerator. I did. I was gonna stop at the old Dunkin', mm. but uh, I didn't because I was trying to get here on time and stuff. So it was very stereotypical. Um, tea, tea for me, coffee for you. Just keeping it on brand. Keeping it on brand. Starbucks is in full effect over here. <laughs> well, uh, we are here this week to uh, talk about a film that we are going to have to kind of dispute the title because we're not 100% now. When we received the movie, it was called Possessor. from uh, Coming out this uh, Friday, October 2nd at select theaters across the, the globe, from what I can tell, but definitely in the U.S. Um, and then uh, by the end of October, it looks like it will have been in most of the countries um, based on IMDb. So that is what I know from IMDb. But for sure, October 2nd, select theaters and drive-ins in the U.S., um, but currently, it's also called Possessor Uncut. So we don't know if that change is 100% official with uh, 
different sites are saying different things, but IMDb uh, did update and it says Possessor Uncut. I had an email from a uh, theater chain prom promoting this that said Possessor Uncut. So we apologize if we're getting the name incorrect, but we do believe the official name as of now is Possessor Uncut. Um, it's This movie got my attention because of the writer-director being Brandon Cronenberg, which is uh, David Cronenberg's son. Um, and if you are familiar with Cronenberg as a filmmaker, he is uh, the master of body horror. Um, and I don't always like body horror, but I tend to like Cronenberg movies. I'm a huge fan of, of the 85 Fly with Jeff Goldblum and yep. Gina Davis. Um, I, I like Scanners. Uh, I still haven't seen Videodrome. That's one of the ones that I really, really need to get into. And then I pretty much am... I, I'm, I have a lot of gaps on the uh, Cronenberg list, but I was intrigued by Brandon Cronenberg, and I thought this trailer looked really, really interesting. So I've, it's been on my radar. It stars Andrea Riceboro, uh, Christopher Abbott, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean Bean, Tuppence Middleton, Rossif Sutherland, and Christopher Abbott. Um, Possessor follows an agent who works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high-paying clients. Has a 70 meta score, 6.3 IMDb user score, and a currently with like only 35 reviews, a 94 on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And the only reason I point that out is that's that's a pretty high score for the 70 meta score. They usually they're not that significant of a difference. Um, but ultimately, what it's saying is critics are are mostly liking it, but they're not loving it. But RT looks like they're loving mm -hmm. it because um, the way they they calculate their scores are significantly different. But um, Matt and I got to check this out, and so we are here to uh, discuss our thoughts. Um, I, uh, Big Tuna, uh, who is a friend of the show, we talk about him quite a bit, um, he predicted that I was not going to vibe with this movie. And a lot of times he, he's pretty good at that. Uh, we have watched a lot of movies together, and he does tend to get my uh, my overall taste. Um, but he was wrong in this one. I actually well, very much enjoyed this movie. Um, uh, I, I like horror, and I'm I'm weird with what horror works for me. Um, but I'm definitely, I wouldn't classify myself as like a horror fan. I'm not one of those people who seek out horror movies and that's the active genre that I go for. Mm -hmm. Um, but when a horror movie works for me, I am a big fan of the genre. And, uh, this one isn't like, uh, one that is going to be like a regular that I go back to. Like when I saw Hereditary, I was like, well, this is one that I it will always be a movie that just hits me at the core and scares me and terrifies me. This movie more interested me and it made me, uh, walk away kind of thinking about what it was saying and what it was trying to do um i thought the the body horror stuff lived up to the uh the cronenberg name I, there's not a lot of it but the few scenes were very like unnerving and very real and practical um looking i assume they were practical they they look practical to me i've, I've done zero research onto the process that uh, he went through to do this um i will uh, i'm a big jennifer jason leafing um i i tend to like immediately get on board whenever i see her name attached to something recently um, I've liked a lot of her later career stuff, especially uh, like current Annihilation is really great. Um, she's on a Netflix series called Atypical that I really adore her uh, performance in. Um, but what kind of made me backpedal a slight bit was when I realized who Andrea Andrea Riceboro was, uh, mostly because, as I mentioned, some horror doesn't work for me. Mandy did not work for me. Oh. Um, and that was the most recent movie that I think I'd seen her in. I feel like there was one more film that she was in that I also didn't love. She's she's in quite a lot of films, didn't she? She's a she's somebody. She's a really great actress who can just sort of she can adapt to so many different types of roles. I think she's great. 
yes and i really liked her in this and that's what i um my my recent experience with her i did not love uh with with mandy um which matt and i were in the minority there a lot of people really love mandy neither one of us uh truly did but yeah she um was really good in this and uh oh she was in the bad the grudge that's what it was um so the last two movies i saw of hers were not good right i didn't like mandy didn't like the grudge um I don't think anybody liked the grudge and oh, but I really liked her in this. Uh I thought that she was really good in this. I thought in fact the performances in general I thought were really uh compelling. I thought there was some interesting commentary, uh not super deep commentary, but there's some things about like class systems and uh you know who who's expendable and and mm-hmm. um I, I feel like there's stuff here. I don't know that I fully got all of it, but it when I walked away I was thinking about it. I thought about it for a good day or so. Um, you know, pretty actively, just like playing through the scenes and what it was trying to mean i don't know that i i really worked through everything but i thought the um i do think the trailer the initial trailer was very misrepresentate misrepresenting of what this film was actually doing um because i totally thought this was like a ghost movie yeah and part of that is the name too because you hear possession you think you know a ghost right like you think the exorcist you think things like that and uh, so I, I definitely went into this not knowing what it was, but Big Tuna had warned me, it's not what you think. I'm like, okay. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't at all what I thought. Uh, it had more of like a Matrix vibe than it had an Exorcist vibe, you know, when, when it came down to, at least in terms of the story premise. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, I liked it. I, I didn't, I never found it to be a, like a horror film in the traditional sense. So I never really felt scared. Um but I liked what it was doing. And so I, I was on board throughout the film. And uh, there is um, the, the image on the poster is horrifying. Like that's the, the scariest thing in the movie um, to me is that that look with the, the mask face kind of thing. It, it's it's disturbing, I guess, more so than horrifying. It, 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 but it sits with you and it's very uncomfortable. But um, that was my take on it. I thought I thought it's very well made. I think the performances are strong. Uh, you know, I think the story is compelling enough and and engaging enough that i was i was in for the the ride what about you sir um i agree with you pretty much for the most part i thought the film was decent Uh, i didn't think i didn't think it was great though Uh, i didn't think i didn't think it's excellent i'm more on the metacritic score than the rt score for this more 70 than 94 right yep um but the movie's okay in fact in fact it's pretty decent it's it's just not great or overly appealing i think the trailer, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's done a hell of a job getting buzz. People, when that trailer came out, the Red Band trailer, the, you know, this this film was trending online and a lot of people were excited for this film and a, a lot of that was obviously based on those disturbing images from the trailer, which are in the film, but you're right. The trailer did, did exactly what a trailer should do in getting people excited, but it does exactly what many trailers do nowadays, which is you know skew what the film actually is about um i remember the mother trailer doing that quite an awful lot of, a year or two ago aronofsky's film um so i'm interested to see what the fan reaction is going to be or the cinema goer's reaction upon you know a quote-unquote quote-unquote wider release what are, what are the you know the casual film fans who check this out think uh, that's what i'm interested in but yeah it's it's dark and it's twisted it's confusing and it's not entirely exciting or compelling all of the time, but mm. I but I still enjoy it. It's a good premise. It's not an original premise, obviously, but it's a good premise. But and it opens the door to some interesting 
um, narrative direction within the confine of this story. You get some effective, uh, disturbing sequences and imagery straight off as well. I mean, the film's it's a Cronenberg film. It starts off, you know, as it means to go on in terms of the, the kind of visual tone of what you're going to get. You get some melting, you get some merging. It's, you know, it's, uh, if, if you're... If you don't like, you know, graphic or disturbing imagery, then Possessor has it in spades. So do bear that in mind. The mm-hmm. characters is where I had the issue with now. The characters are well acted. Like Christopher Abbott and Andrea Riceborough are both very good. More so Abbott because you know he's on screen more yeah. in terms of his character. But I think so. But I just found the characters themselves, not the performance, the characters were soulless. I mean, it's not. I didn't find particularly much interesting about them therefore why why would i really care all that much about what happens to them uh colin who is christopher abbott's character he's not really established all that well before anything happens so not entirely sure what he's like and i'm not entirely sure if uh andrea rice was having any kind of effect on him and i don't and that isn't to be confused with the notion of who's struggling with who i don't mean you know i don't know what the guy is all about in the first place so is that he might you know is that what he's like normally i don't know so I wasn't. I wasn't sold by the characters. I was. I didn't buy into the characters because they just for me they didn't have anything about them. Um, Tazia Voss, who's Rosberg's character, she she has marital issues. Not a spoiler. It's in the film. It's in the. It's in the. It's um. It's a very small part of the film. Uh, but they, you know, they're, they're not. They're just not developed. They're not. They're just there. I well, know. They're, they're just. For me, they didn't really add anything to the film, regardless of what happens. It, it just felt undercooked at some parts. In terms of the messages, everything you said, there's obviously there's obviously higher allegories about corporations and um, control and what you're willing to give out to them as well. I took from there, the but I don't know. I I I did enjoy this film. I'm definitely not going to go back to it. Certainly not any time soon. Put it like that. It there are some good ideas in it. There are some good sequences, and there is some good body horror. The Cronenberg uh, body horror gene is alive and well from father to son here. And what it does do show show to me though is that Brandon Cronenberg, this is his second film in what eight years. It shows to me that he's certainly a, co- a competent filmmaker. You know, two two films, major films in in eight years. Not because he's not very good at his craft. Possessor has got some very decent directorial flourishes to it. Some, as I mentioned, good set pieces, and he knows how to direct an actor. But. It's the it's the thing. It's like the things that fill in the gaps, like the characters. They just they they didn't do it for me. The the narrative and the messages were a bit. It got too convoluted towards the end as well. I think that it tried too hard to be something it wasn't. And and like you said, when you mentioned like the Matrix, there's an awful lot of um a lot of awful lot of whether they're nods to other films, I don't know. But there's a lot of awful lot of things you've seen in other films which may have done them better. Is what I'll say, but if if Possessor slash Possessor Uncut is definitely worth a watch. I mean, based on the trailer alone, definitely go and check it out. If you're a fan of the Cronenberg style, you're going to like this. If you're a fan of um dark uh dark body horror or dark horror or slow sci-fi horror, you're going. To, I think you're going to find an awful lot to get out of this. I am interested to see what the wider audience thinks of this. If you're in the UK. This is getting its premiere next week at the London Film Festival, of which I forgot to apply for. So I keep being reminded about that. And uh, also want to say thank you to the guys and girls at Neon for supplying John and myself with an advanced um, screener Mm -hmm. for this so we could check this out. But I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. 
That's what that's what I'll say. And I was also interested in what you thought about it because um yeah. I know Big Tune is obviously gonna have a handle on your taste, but when we do a show, when we do a film for the BAMP, whether it's a comedy, a horror, sci-fi, action, whatever it might be, I've always got one one brain cell thinking, I wonder what Burke thinks of this, or I wonder what JB thinks of this scene, or you know, or when I'm sitting there thinking, what did I th- did I like that? I always think I I try to work out what John will think about this film, and I too wasn't sure whether you would dig this film, just because I don't know, just because to me it it was missing something. But um, well, I'm interested to I hear actually, your, that you were you know more of a fan. I I don't want to. It's hard again. We always talk about this like off mic that it's hard to talk about movies like this uh, without getting into spoilers. Um, and I'm not going to because this is it's not even out just yet. But um. I do want to comment on the character thing that you said, though, because I actually I agree, but I do think that's kind of part of the point. Um, and not that you didn't get that, but I think that's no, I why I like this, um, because I often feel like I give so much of my life to work. Um, and I feel like uh, the type of work she's doing is like a soulless work that she's being like, you know, beaten down and drained. And so I think that like absence of of substance is exactly what the film's kind of commenting on is like she's just this worker bee um you know going about her job serving the queen so to speak and uh i it, it's got very dark to say i related to that more than i realized i didn't realize that until you said it and then i was like oh um is that what i connected with it was like uh just this feeling that i give so much of my life to to my job that i you know sometimes i don't feel like i have any any other life it's, it's all i have and that that family issue that you brought up with her is, you know, because there's times where I feel like really bad. It's like my wife is like, hey, let's do this. I'm like, hey, I can't. I have like eight hours of work I still have to do. You know, like there's no way I can possibly go do this thing today and, and still get my job done. And um, and it's even more so right now because of the change in, in the environment of our job that it's it's kind of like never ends because I have students emailing me. I have students who couldn't get on earlier, but now they can they need help with this thing or whatever. And I, I have an obligation to them that I personally feel. And I do feel like there is some pressure from the, the bosses, even though they're understanding and the bosses being both like my, my principal, but also like the government, you know, like there's this pressure on us to like make this work and all that. So um, I, I didn't make that connection uh, until you pointed out like the, the soulless character, but that might be what, what clicked for me is I felt like this odd kindred spirit with this like person who's work obsessed and she seems to be losing control of even who she is much less you know like everything else like she doesn't even seem to know who this person is anymore she's just this job mm-hmm. and um and that is that is reading much deeper than what the the text says right because the text is on the surface like she's literally like becoming other people but uh it's so much so that she's you know losing who she is and that's in the literal sense in the film but i think that is where like uh the kind of maybe commentary on capitalism or commentary on, on work ethic in our, in our country is being kind of explored in an interesting way. So and again, that might just be my reading. Well, I'm glad I've given you something more to think about there. Um, but I always like, uh, obviously I'm, I'm still, I've always been story first above anything else, but characters are a very close second. I've got to relate or at least, at least want to root for the characters. I just didn't find that here. Uh, but again, well, yeah, which is and- strange because they, the performances were spot on. I especially think Christopher Rapper, as I mentioned, was great. Sean Bean's in the film as well. Always good to see which Sean I Bean in like. the film. Yeah, always good. Yeah, and I, Jennifer Jason Lee is, like you say, the overlord. Um, as like the boss. She's she's good for what she has to do. Um, 
she is not on screen much. I will give that. Uh, it is pretty much do... those 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 two really. It's uh, Riceboro, uh, Christopher Rapper, and then people sort of come in and out as and when that, as and when they need to. And I mean, there was uh, the idea of um, uh, Tazia and Colin's characters. You know how they coexist, and I use that term loosely with each other. That's that's interesting, and, and there are some great moments attached to that particular. Um, I don't want to call it relationship, but um, that coming together. There's some great moments attached to that, but I don't know. I just when I was watching it, and and I'm glad you got something out of him. And the way you're saying it, it, I can I can see exactly where you're coming from. I just wish I'd mm-hmm. got that as well. Right, and keep in mind, uh, one, I'm I'm actually leaning with you. I am saying it's closer to like the 70 uh, than it is the 94 RT, but mm-hmm. um, 70 Metascore. Uh, but I, I do like I think that you just kind of opened my eyes to maybe what it was that I latched onto. I'm not disagreeing with your statement either. Like I think you are right, but I think that's what clicked for me as far as like what the movie was saying versus it. You know, I also usually prefer a, a character that's very dynamic and that you can find. Um, something different like i'm not proud that i feel like i connected with the soulless character <laughs> but um <laughs> you share a man right it's like it's like oh if i want myself that down that i'm so exhausted uh but but uh it is interesting because again um one big tuna was surprised that i liked it as much as i did and again like as much as it did makes it sound like i'm like this is my favorite movie of the year and it is not um but i i, I do think it's good i think it's well made and i i i do think it's going to um polarize audiences to a degree but not in a not in like a political way just like this isn't going to be a movie that sits well for people who like you said don't like body horror or aren't into this you know kind of sci-fi yeah, i can't uh, see it being polarizing because this is this is a very much a niche film where it's not like a where something like mother yeah, i mean that's what that, i mean that is that was a polarizing that's film much, because yes it, it, that was sold as something completely different whereas you watch a trailer for this you, you kind of know what you're gonna get straight up can I ask a question for you? Uh, Mother, where did you fall? Are you a fan or, or not? I was a fan, but I okay, really, really want to rewatch the film. So I haven't seen it since it, since I saw it at the theatre. Um, yeah, but I I, I'm an Aronofsky the... fan, so... I, I oh, so like apart from stuff. Noah, I wasn't a fan of Noah, but I um, I just remember, I know we're digressing here, but I remember the, the murmurs after the film when I came out into the foyer and just heard people, I've heard a few people saying, you know, they loved it. I did hear some people saying, you know, what the boop was that? Um, and mm. that that's how I knew. Like, right, this is part. I enjoyed it on first watch. I did think it also went a bit too far in places, but um, I yeah. want to rewatch it and see. Uh, and, I, and I will probably, and I will do that as possess, Possessor as well to bring it back to that. They're the kind of films that sometimes on, on rewatch, you can find more from them. And I don't, I'm not, an, I don't like having to go back to watch a film to reevaluate per se, but um I can't imagine rewatching this and thinking actually no this is a masterpiece or going back to rewatch Mother and thinking I hate this or actually this this is even better than I thought but well, I'm always interested in going back sometimes to watch films like this because on first viewing they can be a bit of um a bit of a mind mess uh, a headbender to kind of watch because uh, at times I was slightly confused because it was getting a bit convoluted but um yeah. maybe a second viewing you start to find uh, things you miss on the first but same with Mother Maybe I'll go back and watch that, and maybe I will hate it. But I enjoyed it when I first. Well, I appreciated it when I first saw it. Well, folks, that is our review of Possessor and/or Possessor Uncut um, from yeah. 2020 <laughs> uh, in theaters October second. Uh, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Um, we are going to move into our next segment where we look at chopped headlines. 
Uh, these are movie or pop culture news that caught our attention. Matt, why don't you go first? What headline grabbed you this week? Uh, well, I had a couple um, on my radar, and it wasn't until one dropped literally again today that I decided, no, I, this is this is big news for me. It's, uh, some of the other ones were fairly comedic or lighthearted. And then this dropped, and it's the news that uh, The Lion King 2 is is uh, going to be helmed by Barry Jenkins. Moonlight and if Bill Street could talk, um, Barry Jenkins. Two, two great films, especially Bill Street for me. Of course, La La Land was better than Moonlight. But, uh, Bill Street is fantastic and Moonlight's great. Barry Jenkins coming on board to direct a prequel that's going to tell Mufasa's origin story. Now, I don't always like films that go back to tell an origin story of a beloved character because I don't need to know how a Lion King became king. Do you know what I mean? I, I imagine he probably fought a couple of hyenas or another lion and it's a soft reboot of the first, of the original, and that's how he became the light move faster we know. Um, but yes, yeah, unknown as to when production itself is going to begin. Um, but the first, the original Lion King, the sorry, the live action, quote unquote, that the Favreau produced remake that uh, rakes in one point six billion dollars worldwide for a film which wasn't greatly received because yeah, for various reasons to make you know. Not a million miles off two billion is sensational. Did I think they were going to come out of the prequel? No, and that's why I, that's why this story caught my headline because I assumed it would be a continuation of Simba's story, but no, they're going back to tell Mufasa's story. Uh, I'm interested to see who they get to voice Mufasa because obviously it was James L. Jones originally. They bought yeah. him back for this one. Who's going to have that? you know, richness and that gravitas of their voice? There'll be people out there, but it's also Barry Jenkins' first real big budget effort and it's not based on any existing work so i'm interested to know what you think jb and what what can barry jenkins bring to a to the lion king 2 and i imagine it's not going to be called that when it comes out because it's a prequel but Um, what can barry jenkins bring to a mufasa origin story well um i i'm a big barry jenkins fan so i I, i'm excited to, to hear this new project i am excessively not excited to hear that it is a sequel of a movie or a prequel of a movie that i didn't love in the first place now not to say the lion king is not great i i am not as avid a fan of the animated movie as other people i don't dislike it but it was never like my favorite disney movie like it is for some people but i I, of all of the live action ones that i've seen and i've seen all but mulan i think um it was it was one of my least favorite like i actually enjoyed aladdin way more than i expected to because i like I like Will Smith. That's the the thing that like, Will Smith won me over in in Aladdin. Like I just liked him. But Aladdin and, worked on us. The fact that had it was surprising because we said beforehand it's going to probably be a bit rubbish. Turned out right. to be great. Whereas The Lion King was just basically a a I hate using it. It's not even it's not live action, but you know a live action yeah. reproduction of that original film. Whereas Aladdin tried something a bit different yeah and the the downside with everyone's big complaint with lion king that i kept hearing through the circles was it was you 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 made the same movie but you took out any fun and emotion and so like it was just this like lifeless like animals you know or lifeless is wrong but humanless animals like it It had no human personification whatsoever and it just made it really bland and, and not good and i i don't see and i it's not Favreau because like you could you could try to blame Favreau for that, but you see Jungle Book and the animals emote and they have expressions. So it was a choice he made for this, but that's not like it's not like he's not able to have characters with emotion or something like that. And that's where like normally your argument would be, oh well, Jenkins is so good at emotion, I'm sure. 
but it's like, well, yeah, if he chooses to not do what Favreau did, and again, we I don't really understand Favreau's reasoning other than like, look how real we can make it look. It's like, yeah, hmm. it's not good like that, so don't do that. And it um, looked great, but like it did, there's something missing behind the eyes, and it's that like it's like emotion. Yeah, and so. It, you know, I, I, I think Jenkins could do something really cool with it. Um, obviously, when you look at, like, Mufasa being uh, James Earl Jones, and you look at them casting Childish Gambino and or Donald Glover as Simba for the, the new live action in Beyonce, uh, maybe Jenkins is going to bring a voice to this movie that is, is unique and interesting. Um, I personally would rather him do, like, another indie uh, or a, a big budget, like, drama than than in a live action i guess i i don't i want to call it animated because it really is animated right there's no actors in in no. the thing. but um i i don't i don't love that that that's what he's doing um how much of again, a barry jenkins feel is it gonna have because it's gonna have favreau's fingerprints all over it isn't it which is not a bad thing well and this the i would say the most concerning thing right is disney sequels not pixar sequels disney sequels have notoriously mm-hmm. almost predominantly been straight to DVD and or straight to VHS, really, uh, movies. And they, there are two Lion King sequels. There's the Lion King 1 and a half and Lion King 2, I believe. Pride or something uh, like that. Or Pride, yeah, Simba's, it's Pride like his Rock son. Or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? Like, I haven't seen them. I own, actually, I think both of them, because I was a part of like one of those like send straight to home Blu-ray like you know mail-in things, and I forgot to cancel the order for it. So like I have them. I've never watched them. Um, probably never will and nope, same here. <laughs> i have like zero interest in the prequels you know like like a like a, you have no precedent for this like to do a, a prequel to one of these things that make me comfortable that it's going to be good you know like because there are there are several aladdin sequels that were straight to vhs there are several little mermaid ones i think there's at least three little mermaid uh I, cinderella 2 was was real bad like you know, like it, they don't work like that. They're meant to be like one-off stories, and you know, they work for like cash grabs for like little kids who don't know any better. It's like, oh yeah, there's more of the thing <laughs> I like, you know. But um, I guess, I guess I need to back up because there's a movie that is a successful Disney sequel that you have watched many, many times. Oh, God, uh, that I have not seen yet. So I guess Frozen Two is the the one like glowing like hey look we made a sequel that worked and it, it's supposed to be pretty um, good yeah in terms of disney film even us yeah i mean still in terms of like these these kind of films yeah i guess but even then i uh i don't know if if, if they said i'm just trying to get frozen two out of my mind again only because i've seen it like five times a day for the last well lockdown yeah. if if this was barry jenkins was helming a lion king to a sequel to the lion king would you be more excited for that no, no, I wouldn't. Um, again, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's a story there that's worth like really exploring. You know, no, um, not, yeah, we, we know what happened. And I know it's pre- prequel syndrome, but some franchises you can launch a prequel with because they have a massive world of which to play in, and there are and there are stories. You like, I, I, I go back to Star Wars. Whatever people think about the prequels, it was the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. You know, Lucas potentially could have created three monumental films there. He didn't. Um, but there was a lot to play with there. Whereas this is, well, Mufasa is going to become the king. There's not going to be a rise and fall. Is it more going to be more interesting to find out about what, how Scar became how he did? Um, was it called? It is Scar, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, are they going to show Simba's birth? I mean, what's, I know that was in the first, that was in The Lion King. Um, I, I mean, I don't really know. Oh. 
they're going to show the conception that's what that's what i meant to say yes they're going to show that i just don't see what you can do other than pretty much the same as the lion king except just trade out simba for mufasa yeah or you have some other like you know nonsense where he fights something like it's going to be and again if we start saying that like like you can't do the same story like because that's uh, every story there are, there are several like historians who claim that every story that can be told has been told. All that changes yeah, yeah. are the characters and the settings. Fine. That is true. So we can't, we can't poo poo a prequel just because we think it's going to be something we've already seen. Cause yeah, it probably is. It doesn't mean it can't be great. And I, I am a fan of Jenkins. I just, I would rather, you know, Jenkins get to tell a story um, that I, I, I just hope this is a passion project and not like, not the this is a logical career move step because he's gone you know he had his oscar win out of nowhere everyone was really surprised he's become like the most successful florida state uh film student like graduate of all time um because their film program is heavily meant towards news media not towards actual film Mm -hmm. so like he's like the shining star now and um rightfully so because i i'm a huge fan of both of the movies that we've referenced Um, i have not seen that movie he's got precedence he's got the track record so we shouldn't doubt him should be right and but that's i guess the the question is did he just finally go you know what i'm just going to take the the big blockbuster because like um look at the Verney, right i yeah. i am one of the few defenders of wrinkle in time and uh i don't think it's amazing or anything either i just liked it i i i enjoyed watching the movie i was not like upset over it uh other people were seeming like they had been their childhood shattered i had no connection to a wrinkle in time so i had nothing to lose um and i i enjoyed the movie but you know, she that was you know she did the the indie she did well, Selma is really not an indie film but she did Selma she does Thirteenth uh, and then it's like boom big blockbuster and so is Jenkins following that trajectory, um and, uh, and not, right and there's nothing to there's no reason not to and uh she, her career has not um, been severely damaged although I do feel like it's are we did she do something recently or uh, no, she not name, she's uh, her name's always bandied around for. For, for right. um, positions, I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe television, but she certainly hasn't been damaged by it. No, and so you know, I don't think Jenkins has anything to lose here. And hopefully, it's just again, I I love Moonlight so much. In fact, Moonlight's one of my favorite films that I've taught. Um, because the amount of the, the some of the students who really connected with it, I think it opened their eyes to a world that they were um definitely not privy to and so like when you see a filmmaker capable of doing something like that you know opening someone's eyes making someone feel differently maybe than about a topic that they normally wouldn't have been comfortable with um to do like a prequel to a a disney film like you said where there's no clear way for us to know what to expect right like when like you said with star wars we knew what we were going to get because of that anakin like there was a, a a mythos built in the original trilogy that had been alluded to so much but so lightly you know we only knew of these like brief stories of anakin so getting to like see him was exciting mufasa is like well yeah he's the king but so what you know like <laughs> isn't that just isn't that just what happens because he was born the son of the <laughs> other king like that it's all it is, yeah right so it's like does that really matter like how he became the king? i mean so that's what story are we going to be told that isn't just a rehash of the same Lion King story or, or, you know, and that would be the worst case scenario if they try to make it like, yeah. And like you said, it'll probably emphasize the, the rivalry with him and Scar and man, you know, I don't, I don't know if we need any of that. Like that's, it's not something that is clearly there. Now that doesn't mean there can't be a really great story to tell or tell another type of story just with Mufasa, where it's not so much an origin story of how he became King. Maybe it's just like, 
um you know like a love story it's a romance and we're gonna find out how he meets you know simba's mother and they fall in love or something like that which again on the surface doesn't sound super compelling but in the hands of like barry jenkins maybe it is exactly i'm up for being i'm up for being surprised i will obviously be open-minded about it but it just seems to me that 1.6 billion dollars worth of lion king made disney just think oh it's a no-brainer we need to continue this and some smart alec in the corner said why don't we go back in time well like you know to me the sensible option would have been to go forward to give us another simba story to give us something original you know um give us something bring back childish gambino donald glover Bring back Beyonce, you know, bring back the big, these big names and give us something different, you know, something which people could like get excited about, something tangible rather than, well, <laughs> what we're going to get. But like everything you've just said, Barry Jenkins is behind it. If anyone can can eke out some emotion in a film about um, animated lines, then I believe Barry Jenkins is a man and I've got no reason to doubt him because I very much enjoyed Moonlight and I thought Bill Street was excellent, excellent film. So... I'm 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 up for seeing only because Barry Jenkins is attached. No Barry Jenkins, oh, you know, cut color me un unsatisfied yep. by this. Well, my headline um for the week, I I keep coming back to this because uh, my favorite thing to do is go to the movies, which I know Matt that is one of your favorite things to do. That's why we connected like we did because it's like our our passion and, and uh, so movie theaters. Ooh. Yes, and soccer. Yes, of course, the the football, uh, yay sports. But um, movie theaters are in jeopardy. Uh, still, they've been in jeopardy pretty much since quarantine happened in May, in March. Um, and uh, all of our summer blockbusters were taken from us, um, with the exception of Tenet, which was pushed back uh for several months and finally released. And as um, I, I think we were talking off mic about that, but um, about mm-hmm. uh. It's a kind of underwhelming performance. I mean, it's almost made $200 million, which is a shame that that has to be underwhelming. Um, but that's worldwide. And people just aren't going to the theaters so much so that this is the article from CNBC uh, points out that most of the blockbusters that had originally been postponed to the end of this year are starting to push back to the uh, middle of next year. Yep. Um, the biggest one being Black Widow that went from uh, November release to now a March release again, which is when it was supposed to come out this year. Um, or was it April? I don't know. It was a, it was early summer release that has now been pushed back to next year. And um, other movies are following right now. The only two big ones that are still left for November are uh, no time to die. The new James Bond movie and uh, Pixar soul, mm-hmm. which uh, there is some expectation that those are going to end up getting pushed back to um, because no one's going to the theater and rightfully so. I don't think we should be going to the theater. Um, in fact, uh, there's even some speculation that theaters might start shutting back down because there's just not enough content to justify paying employees. Um, so you might see that like in small markets, you might see theaters closing again, um, especially in the big chains uh, where they just can't afford to keep people on. Um, or the, also, I mean, like the small art house theaters are kind of used to showing uh, retro screenings, but the, the you know, AMC, I believe uh, the top, I think the number five grossing film last weekend was Empire Strikes Back. It's mental. Uh, it's madness. Yeah, which, I mean, Empire is awesome. And I've seen it on the big screen a couple of times. But yeah, you wouldn't think that would be, uh, even as a retro screening and limited, I, I don't think it had a full weekend showing. I think it was like limited runs. Um, and I'll tell you, part of the problem, I've been considering going to the theater because my local theater is relatively small. Like, it's it's usually not full, even on the big releases. 
um, except for opening weekend. Mm. Opening weekend's usually busy, and any other night I could go and I could see a movie probably by myself. Like, uh, it's a real possibility. So I was gonna, I was gonna try it out, and um, I found out last week that my theater during the week, Monday through Thursday, they're closing. Their last show is at four o'clock. So I'm like just getting home from work at four o'clock. So I would have to go straight from work to the movie in order to pull that off. And I'm like, well, if you were doing like, they're doing like one and four, they're doing matinee shows. And I'm like, who, who can go to that? Like, except for a few older people who don't work. If you want people to come, you need to do the later shows. Like don't open early, open, do four and seven. Like that would be, I would go to a seven o'clock. I would try at least. Um, But now it looks like, you know, with that that decision, and some theaters are already doing that because of the same reasons. Um, it it's very possible that we won't have theaters for the movies to open up in, or what we might start seeing. And this was um, I forgot in the U.S. at least uh, back in the 30s, I uh, maybe it's the, it's the 50s when um, now I'm not sure 30s or 50s. The the law was passed in the U.S. where the distribution could not be the same as the houses. Like so, the studios could not own the theaters, because um, that's how it used to be. And recently, in the last year or so, it was finalized that uh, that's no longer the case. So I would venture to say we're going to see like Disney start buying up theaters, uh, especially like buying AMC at its low we stock value Amazon, right now. We, on, a, on a on a past episode, we said Amazon might have an interest, yeah. and it turned out a week or yeah. two later that. Like maybe they have. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, when when this finally is, you know, when vaccines come out and people are ready to start going to theaters, we're no longer going to AMC. We're no longer going to Regal. We're going to, you know, Disney's exclusive theaters where the only place you can see the new oh, Star Wars yeah. movie or, um, you know, it, it's very, very possible. And I don't know how that that rule applies in other countries because that is, uh, you know, the whole monopoly thing. I only know the U.S. kind of laws on it, but uh yeah, we're we're back in on that. So who knows? Um, but yeah, that's my headline is this, you know, theaters in jeopardy. Matt, we I know we've talked about this a few times, but it's just it is kind of my uh one news obsession that isn't you know political right now that I can't stop thinking about is what's gonna happen to my precious, precious movie theaters. It's well, it's because it is it is the ongoing story, isn't it? There's no doubt about it. It's mm-hmm. every week we get certainly over here we're getting told what we can and can't do. Recently they passed that uh, the idiot in chief said, you know, only only you can't have any more than six people in a group together anymore, but you can go to the pub. Okay, there's more than six people there. Yeah, but you don't know those six people. The COVID doesn't understand that when I'm there. You know, it's just just it, it's a, a shambles for the cinemas. I mean, Cineworld has had like a 1.3 billion dollar loss. They've got they've got money zero into the banks up in like December, and they're having to try and like frantically try and renegotiate these uh, waivers and deals to keep them afloat it's it comes down to is it is it worth it basically as you said i haven't i haven't gone to see tenet because i don't fancy going out into an enclosed space like that i haven't been to a restaurant or anything like that um mm-hmm. i went to a pub because i was fully aware beforehand that they had stringent um procedures social distancing in place and table service as well you don't you can't go anywhere you have to use an app to get things and brought over um, things being moved back though it's totally unsurprising to an extent some of them I can see that they could have been put on a VOD service something like whereas mm-hmm. I would have said Candyman the Nia DaCosta film 
But she came out on Twitter recently yeah. and said, you know, that that was an option, but that's not how I want people to see it. I want people to go out to the cinema and check out this horror film on the big screen in, as a communal experience. Hearing that, I'm like, do you know what? As much as I was really intrigued for DaCosta's vision on Candyman, I do want to go to the theatre to watch it. I said, yeah, great. It'd be wonderful to sit down now and pay £15 for it and check it out at home. But it, then it just feels like another part of my day. Right, kids have gone to bed. All right, I'll put Candyman on. Once that's done, you know, I'll go online. I'll, you know, read some stuff or I'll go and play some, play some Battlefront or something. It's not like getting up, getting ready to go out, the experience of being at the cinema and coming out, driving home, thinking about the film. I, I, I totally understand where certain where certain films like that uh, would want to be pushed back. Black Widow, of course I understand why that was pushed back. Mulan wasn't. Does Disney have more faith in Black Widow? Probably. First year without an MCU film since it began. Oh, it's just... It's just the uncertainty, mate, is what gets me. That's why I haven't gone to the theatre since lockdown because it's you just I just don't you know they're, 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 any kind of risk like that. It's not worth it for me. I love film. You love film, yeah. listeners. We all love film. Yep. And I'm sure some of you listeners out there have been to the theatre and you know more power. There's nothing wrong with that. People going because there are social distancing rules in place. It's not like you could, you can go there and everyone's you know licking each other's faces and all that. It's it's still masks and social distancing, but it just isn't for me at the minute. But I can see why they're doing it. But it is going to have a major effect on theatres. And as we mentioned on previous shows, it's not just 2020 and 2021 that's going to take a hit. This is going to be this is going to have ramifications and a domino effect for a good two or three years after as well, because not only are we going to have a backlog, but theatres are going to have, and studios are going to have to recoup this money somehow. Is that going to see an increase in ticket prices? Will concessions creep up a little bit? Um, will, will we see films that were meant to come out in mid-2021, which have been pushed back, now being pushed back further? Will the original 2021 releases be pushed back as well because of congestion? It's going to be a knock-on effect for a long time here, and it's it's worrying. And of course... I also think about the people who work in this theatre as well. It's their jobs are at risk. You know, people who just turn up to, uh, this is their livelihood. Yeah. You've got to think about them as well. Like the people at the top of the studios who are worth millions, I cry no tears for them because they're fine. Um, but it's the people who are going to work a nine to five or the shift work at the theatres who, you know, they're just as concer- more so concerned, sorry, because this is their livelihood. But COVID, it you know, doesn't discriminate and... It's not going away anytime soon, regardless of who's in charge of politically in any country. COVID's going to be here for a while now until we can get some kind of vaccine or stringent rules in place. It's so movie theatres are just one another, you know, entertainment uh, business which is going to be affected by this, and it, unfortunately, it's one that a lot of people use as escapism. And when that gets taken away, then you know it's things become tough and I'm not going to say that the cinema and theatres are, are saviours in people's lives. They are to some people and they are to me and you, John, because I know there's been times where things yeah. have been a bit crap or you just think I've had a bad day at work or I, you know, and then the idea of going to watch a film, you know, getting out and watching a film can change your mood. It can be, even if the film's bad, it's just getting out is good. But is it that much of an incentive that it's going to, you know, get people out and save a movie theatres? I don't know, man. It's, it's tough, and I know this isn't going to be the last time we talk about this, is it, on this show? 
Probably not, unless there's an answer suddenly uh, to this question. But for the meantime, um, I do think that's probably the best place to end the conversation is this uh, ambiguous cliffhanger, if you will, as we await the future uh, that we do not know. But let's instead turn to what we've been consuming. That is our media consumption segment. Um, This is movies, TV, video games, podcasts, uh, not ours, of course, and anything else we use to kind of pass the time uh, or trying to at least gain some sense of sanity if we are soulless and working bees, as we have mentioned, or at least I have mentioned. Um, Matt, what have you been uh, consuming since the last time we recorded? Um, Mainly films. I've been dabbling in podcasts. I've been listening to Nightmare on Film Street and a British podcast called Not Before Coffee by a uh, charming young lady called Ray, and I mean that like in a nice way, um, who's been championing some of the shows I do. So I'll, I'll check yours out, and I'm enjoying it. It's a good, fun little podcast. So shout out to Not Before Coffee. But, um, Can I ask what, it, what it's about? It's basic- Just because I, I like coffee. Uh, I, I also like coffee. It's basically a uh, girl called Ray. She basically de- describes her dreams in some in some detail, uh, fun detail. Does it usually chucks in a movie review, uh, of a film she's seen, uh, like uh, what was it, Dad Napped quite recently? That, that classic, speaking of Disney films from like 2009, and one of them was a Karate Kid, like four, so you know, irreverent type films, and um, and other kind of more personal stories as well. But it's it's done under the guise of you know, uh, not until I've had my coffee type thing, and it's fun, it's, it's light and breezy, it's an hour, it's British, so um, I thought it was quite pretty good, and it's new as well, so it's only like four or five episodes in, so I'm um, it's nice to have one in the background to listen to, and um, again representing the UK podcast scene. Um, but aside, mainly films, um, and and it's been a mixed bag of films this week. In the last few weeks, I kind of been struggling to get into the idea of watching films. Um, whereas this week, I haven't stopped. For we've got movie astrologies coming out in the next uh, week or mm-hmm. ten days, and myself and John are going to be talking about nineteen seventy in film. So. We've been going back and sort of dabbling in mainly the top the top films that came out that year. And for me, uh, I watched Patton, the George C. Scott-led film, and MASH, obviously a US staple there, MASH. I watched those this weekend and obviously the ones I mentioned last week as well, saving my thoughts for the episode, which will be out next week. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, last night I watched Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, because talking about escapism is one of those days, you know, if it's a bit of a day when you kind of like, it's a bit of a sigh day. I was like, do you know what? I want something comfortable. I want something which I know I'm going to just be able to sit down and just enjoy. Three and a half hours later, I'm like, yep, I enjoyed that. Return of the King. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Return of the uh, Lord of the Rings franchise. So put that on. I watched a uh, independent film called The Swerve, which was sent to me. I checked that one out. Uh, my review is going to be out this week. I promise, Mr. PR man. And I thought it was all right. It was good. It lacked something, but it was pretty decent. It's kind of a psychological film. I don't want to say too much because it hasn't come out yet, or it's literally just been released. But uh, the film called The Swerve is out on VOD. It's like a psychological thriller type film. It's well worth checking out, but it was missing something. So for me, it was kind of a you know above average film. It's okay. I watched a short film called Tribes which landed in my inbox today. Ten minutes, don't usually watch short films, but I checked this one out because it was a story of a black man, a man from the Middle East, and a white man who who are robbing a train. But they don't want to rob people of, or how they call their own people. So they've then got to decide, well, hold on, out of these people, who can we actually rob? Who 
who don't fit into some kind of subgenre of our, of our own people type thing. It's a comedy, and uh, it was good fun for ten minutes. I enjoyed that. Uh, it's premiering at the LA Short Film Festival and it's up for Oscar consideration. So, called Tribes. Check that one out. I enjoyed that. Uh, and then for Moving Picture Madness this week, we are covering the Silent Hill films because my co-host Ant is a like Silent Hill. You know, he's the not he knows everything about those those that look the the world, not just the films, the games, everything about that world and mythology. So we're going to do Silent Hill. So I went back to watch the 2006 Silent Hill film, which I'd been meaning to do for a while, not because I love the film, but I remember thinking this was okay, but it, again, like Mother. It's a film which I wanted to go back and reevaluate, and like, did I like this? And you know, I watched it again, and it's perfectly serviceable. It's all right, apart from Sean Bean's accent. What the hell is going on with that? Um, <laughs> and it's fine. It's okay. But I'd never seen Silent Hill Revelation. Never seen it. Oh. it. It was it was like John and um, one of the films he's got on his list here, and things like Raging Bull. The Silent Hill Revelation was a top of my gap list. You know, big release, huge film, acclaimed, and I'd heard it was awful. And it was. I rewatched it and it was horrendous. I really didn't like Silent Hill Revelation. Um, again, I'll put my thoughts out on NPM this week, but didn't like Silent Hill Revelation. It didn't go anywhere. I, I did a commentary on it where I basically recorded myself watching it. Hour, an hour into the film, I remember saying, right, this is an hour in and nothing has happened. I don't know where we're going with this. We've got half an hour left and we haven't set anything up. Nothing. So Silent Hill Revelation was... Well, it wasn't revelatory because I thought it'd be rubbish and it was. But uh, other than that, I've been playing a bit of uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, played some of that again today. Some Starfighter Assault and um, some Supremacy uh, and the Silent Hill games. Had a little dabble on those as well. But uh, mainly films, though, for me. But uh, John is usually much more of a mixed bag in terms of pop culture. So, uh, JB, what on earth have you been catching? Speaking of like things which are like three and a half hours long, what have you been catching up on? Um, well, uh, I, I continue listening to my favorite podcast, the Blank Check podcast. Uh, they they dropped the Back to the Future episode uh, this past Sunday because they're doing Robert Zemeckis right now. And um, that was a three-hour episode, so I was very stoked uh, uh, to, to listen to it while I was doing things. I wore my Back to the Future socks that day, and then I wore the next day my Back to the Future Roosevelt uh, pol- like work shirt. Um, Check one out two the bad socials for that. Yes, and... Um, uh then um similar i i've only i've been trying to cram in as many 1970 movies as i can um but i watched cape fear the martin scorsese remake uh from 1991 for movie club which was really great i enjoyed seeing the hitchcock uh nature to the movie that i was really connected with immediately um but uh also de niro um which he's got to be getting up there in age of this movie but he is the most ripped i've ever seen de niro like in cape fear like he he is really good looking in that movie like just the abs are like like cut the dude's insane in that i just was so like shocked um but uh i watched love story woodstock uh the documentary which i don't know if you know this or not about woodstock but it is uh edited by martin scorsese and his uh frequent collaborator editor um so there is another yeah um it is without getting into it because we will talk about it 1970 uh astrology but just it is an epic adventure of a documentary it is three hours and 44 minutes um and it did take me three days to get (laughs) through it not because it was boring but i was watching it while doing other stuff so i kept like i had to go do this or i had to do that and i couldn't just commit to four hours but um catch 22 is another movie from 1970 that has alan arkin in it and uh 
it is kind of the antithesis to Patton because it is a it's not a parody, but it is definitely like a, a dark comedy. It's a Mike Nichols movie Massive of kind satire. of talking. Yes, as satirical as crap about war. And mm, I did not know it was a book, but uh, I, I will talk about that movie on, on astrology and then Airport. Um, which we both watched, although I think you watched it last yes. week. Uh, I started another 1970 movie today uh, from the top 10 list uh, called Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman. Mm. Um, I was a little apprehensive because I noticed on the still that he is a, a Native American. Um, yeah, but when you watch it, it becomes apparent, doesn't it? Right away that it, he is not Native American. <laughs> so that, that, that was a, a, a – he is – in the attire of a native american but he is a white person who was raised by native americans or something along those lines but the movie is super problematic and i'm not gonna i've only watched like 15 minutes of it but uh his sister and him are are rescued by native americans Mm -hmm. have you seen any of it Uh, yes i have seen yeah i have yeah okay uh because man they make light of her she's basically desperately wanting to be raped and (sighs) um they there's a joke where he's like uh, I guess just no men really did want her or something like that. And you're just like, oh my god! Like, I mean, there's all, um, we're gonna, we we say this all the time on astro- on, astro- on, astro- on a- astrology. Not sure why that was so hard to say, but there are times when you kind of have to sort of bow down to the times that these films were released. But even then, it's still like Jesus Christ, really? Yeah. Did you see um, Mash? By that the way? one especially. I have not seen MASH. I can't seem to, uh, without buying it or Patton, I have no way to watch it. And I don't, I can rent it, but I don't really, I prefer, I don't want to drop money on a movie. Like, especially, I don't know. I, I should just probably rent both of them, but um, I don't, I love, I love Donald Sutherland. So I'm really tempted to get MASH. Uh, and I still have a few days before we record. So I'm going to try. Um, but yeah, uh, it, I have not yet. No, no, no. It's fine. Only because to me, MASH is, it's just an, as I mentioned, American staple. That's how I see it. And I just, and obviously, I know I've seen the TV show beforehand, so I just wasn't, I wasn't sure if you'd seen it on the basis of the TV show or the fact that you are, of course, it, American. Is the TV show first or second? Because I, I actually thought the show was a the like, you know, the I don't know, but I thought the show came after. That's a very good point, and all will be revealed on Saturday when I've looked into it. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Because um, I, I am curious because the show is more comedic, and I believe the movie's taken a more serious approach to the topic. Uh, actually, right? the TV series was afterwards. Actually, no, yeah, the film spawned the TV series, which is normally how it goes, right? Like Sorry, that is Mash the traditional process. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy-two, um, the uh, Mash TV series started, but um. The other thing I did this week, which I n- never thought I would do, but um, I, I did, I kind of had caught wind that Machine Gun Kelly had a new album come out, and I'm not a Machine Gun Kelly fan. Um, I, I am an Eminem fan, and so the, when they had the feud last year or the year before, uh, it pretty much soured me on Machine Gun Kelly. I, I am a loyalist to, to artists that I like, and so uh, Eminem sided against him, so I was like, nope. And then uh, I will say a few months ago, um, during like the height of the protests and stuff, uh, Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker from Blink-182 did a cover of Killing in the Name, Rage Against Machine Song, and I, I liked it. I was a little surprised that I liked it, but I liked it. And um, a, a graduate of mine who I, I'm close with um, messaged me about the Machine Gun Kelly album. He's like, I think, you, I think you're going to like this. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. And he's like, well, it's a pop-punk album. I'm like, hmm. okay, I'm listening. I'm, I'm intrigued. And Travis Barker did a lot of the drums on the on the album, and I'm a big Blink-22 fan, so I'm like, fine, Travis I'll give Barker it a listen. Fan, yep. 
yeah so I, I i decided to throw it on while i was working out on uh on sunday evening and i was kind of blown away it's wow. i think machine Gun kelly needs to not do rap anymore um because he's got he's kind of got something going with the pop punk thing um he he's got his voice is more in the like line of like a almost i don't want to say rancid because it's not quite there but it's more in that style of vocal strong. than like right um and the songs are, are pretty good and he did a song with Halsey who I'm I'm kind of a big fan of Halsey uh, oh, I enjoy a, a lot of her stuff yeah I my my older self uh the current version of myself I should say has been much more open to pop music and so Halsey kind of clicked oh, with me pop, I, in this song I only say how weird because I noticed she was trending online today because it's her birthday so happy birthday Halsey ah. and I didn't know who she was oh. so I was googling images of her oh Not really weird images but I was like do I recognize her I was like nope so um, I was like, do you know, do you know when you like you see something for the first time and then somebody else mentions it? Like, yes, and wow. suddenly it's all of a sudden everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, she, well, I've I've been a fan of hers for a few years. Uh, she did. Um, you probably have heard her song "Castle" because I think it was on the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, either the sequel or the original. Mm-hmm. I don't I remember. She that was like her first like big single blow up song. But um, on this song she did with with Machine Gun Kelly, she has like a Haley Williams kind of vibe to it from uh from Paramore. And I'm like, man, okay, now I also want Halsey to do a pop punk <laughs> album because she was I, I really like that song. So um I I was really pleasantly surprised and I thought it was worth uh dropping because I always kind of forget music. I, I more my music is often like old stuff that I've listened to for a long time that I just cycle in a loop. Um or I've been listening to it long enough where it feels weird to just bring up like I keep listening to the same album every week. Um, so this was something new and recently released. So I thought, hey, you know, this is worth mentioning. So if you uh, were like me and apprehensive of listening to Machine Gun Kelly, give it a chance. It's actually pretty good. Well, I will check it. And um, John messaged me the other day, said, have you listened to any of those bloody songs I mentioned? And I have done. Um, so I will now check this one out as well, um, probably tomorrow, because it's later in the UK. But uh, I'm all, uh, exactly the yes. same as you. I don't really mention music because I'm stuck in my way, which is why I sort of... Um, begged for songs the other week because i really want to get into new stuff i mean i haven't even heard of like, housey apparently she's quite big yeah um but that's just she because is, yeah. i've been sh- slightly sheltered for music be- uh, i'm that, pretty like, sure it's that uh, comfort, was... isn't it of knowing what you like and just sort yeah. of sticking to it well i i i i don't know i it's part it's also like saturation there's so much more music available to us yeah, now um true. And I don't always know where to, to dive in. And uh, I don't give a lot of time to music. Most of the time, music's like my drive or me like walking the dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I don't always like I, I'm going to walk the dog. I don't have time to like sit and flip through a thousand songs. So I just hit the suggestion button on my on the service that I use. And that's what I listen to. And if so, if it doesn't pop up there, I probably won't hear it unless someone like this, my my graduate recommending something um, and me taking a chance with it. So. Uh, but that's that's our media consumption since the last time we recorded. The the next thing, the important thing, is this podcast requires that Matt and I give a certain amount of dedication to staying bloody awesome. And so we want to know exactly what is it, Matt, that you are doing to stay awesome this week? Uh, mine is um, kind of a conducive of times, but simply switching off, basically, is how I've been staying bloody awesome because... Um, I've just given a list of about eight films I've been watching. Um, and I started watching, I was watching like three a night and I was like, Christ, you know, but by the, by the end of it, you're kind of like weary, world weary. And I thought, you know what? Tomorrow I'm not going to do any of this stuff tomorrow. And the day after I'm just going to 
turn this, you know, turn the computer off or, or, or not put any films or anything like that and just switch off and do stuff other, do stuff outside of that, whether that's picking up the old six string, uh, of course, uh, you know, playing on with my daughter, but she's at school full time now. So I have more time during the day. It's like going out walking type and things like that, really, putting my headphones in and listening to comfort, comfortable old songs, but it's sort of switching off from being quite so full on because where this lockdown has uh, been good is it's given people more time to indulge in the things that make them happy. But at times there is danger of overindulgence, which is what I think I fell into the habit of where kind of thinking, well, I've got all this time to burn and I was supposed yeah. to fill it by watching all of these films because I can, I haven't got to get up early tomorrow. I can stay up till two o'clock watching these films and then, well, then you do it two, three times in a row and you think, by the, by the fourth day, you're sitting there with a headache and you're like, oh, I've, I hate films now. I hate doing anything to do with films. I hate Hollywood uh, or independent films. So I decided to just not bother basically for a couple of days and it's amazing what a few days can do for you. Like stimulates you to get back into it, and it becomes a bit more exciting to sit down and watch a film again, or kind of log online a bit more, or things like that. So, just switching off, mate, is extremely good for mental. I've seen other people do it, but it's extremely good for your mental health, and also just for just to so you don't burn yourself out. So, I highly recommend it, guys. Take a day or so off for yourselves. Yeah, um, I need to probably do that more. I've been having a hard time sleeping at night, um, That's it. and I think it's I think it's because my brain is going a million miles an hour. So it's like I don't have time to slow down. I'm just gonna sleep three hours and you know wake you up. I'm like, Can't, no brain, I need sleep. It's stepping back, thinking, well, if I don't watch that film, or if I don't put that review out, or if I don't write my notes today, is it gonna have a massive ramification, massive impact? And if the answer is anything other than like no, then don't then it's the, yes, sorry, then do it. Do you know what I mean? Same here. I was like, if I, I could do this review today, or I could leave it in the knowledge that nothing's gonna, no one's gonna die. Probably, well, <laughs> for want of a much better term, no one's gonna be hurt if I don't put it out in the next two days, or I don't right. have to watch this film now, or do I need to do it? No. So I'm gonna not do it, and I'm not gonna worry about it, and I'm not gonna stress about it because really, is it is do I need to? No. Then I'm not going to. I'm trying to sort of adapt, adopt that mentality more now. Still giving a hundred percent to whatever I do, but adopt the net reality now that you know it, you are you are you are the you're in control of your destiny. You, you write your own narrative, and you know make if, if you're like you, if you're struggling in sleep and just like burnt out and that your mind's going a million miles an hour, take a day off. Not maybe not work necessarily, but after work, just sit down and do stuff that you like doing. Play your games and without fear of having to think. Oh, how does this relate to my um, podcasting life or my um, or my website, my reviewing life and stuff like that. And, you know, I've been playing Battlefront 2 recently just for the fun of it, just to shoot people and enjoy it rather than thinking, right, this is going to tie into an episode or something. So we're uh, highly recommended. Word. And that was, I kind of did something not similar, but at the same time, in a way, I, I disconnected and connected with real people. And I played a game that I've wanted to play my entire 38 years of life. And I finally got to do it. Um, which is Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I've nice. at least four or five times in the last, I don't know, six, seven years, I've tried to start a campaign with somebody. Um, not as the DM, just as a player. Um, I've created a couple characters and it's never gotten past that. It, it seems like it takes so much time. By the time we finally get to like, all right, it's time to play. It's like, well, we can't play today. And then we just never can get that group back together. Um, I, I have a group of uh, coworkers and friends um, and a couple of them are graduates, uh, which is the fun part. Um, you know, like now they're, they're coworkers as well, but I taught them years ago. 
and uh, we've created um, a very fun party. It's it's a party that's probably going to get destroyed at some point because we don't really have a, like a tank character. Uh, but there's there's two rogues. I'm one of them. I am a rogue goblin, Matt, who has a coffee addiction. Um, which that's just exactly you know, how I describe you to when people ask. Right. So and he's uh, he was a really good thief, but because of his addiction to coffee, his hands shake a little too much. So now he relies on his uh, gift of gab. I mean, can I write a character? Can I write a character? So, um, I mean, but uh, our our DM, who is a good friend of mine, um, he he started our campaign on Friday. We had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a really cool experience. I'm hoping that this is going to be a regular thing because it was a, a really cool way of cutting off. Because, um, well, I say that I literally had to respond to like seven emails from students while I was playing, uh, <laughs> which I felt bad about. But like, I saw the notifications. I'm like, I have to, I have to respond. That's work, um, though, yeah. but. Yeah, it is. And uh, but we, we had a really good time. And um, it was one of the few times in recent uh, I had pizza um, because it was like a group of people. It was communal. And I, I was like, well, I guess I will allow myself the cheat day. Um, so that was my same bloody awesome was was socializing safely. We all wore masks while we were playing. Um, but and we all do work together. So we're kind of in the same space anyways. Uh, yeah. But it was it was fun to finally get to play this game that I've heard so many things about. and. Um, with this group of people, part of the reason why I've been apprehensive about playing is I do get kind of like self-conscious about like really role-playing, like really being like that character and whatnot. Um, and I feel comfortable with this group. So I, I wasn't afraid to like to do that. And like I was doing a voice for my character, which I still at moments that I would like stop and I would feel a little awkward about. But they they were really encouraging. And our DM was uh, masterful with like the voices and stuff. Um it, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't know. Have you ever played D and haven't, but I know. I I, I mean, obviously, you've, you've, you've there, beforehand there was a this like perceived stigma attached to it, taboo attached mm-hmm. to it. But now, so I see so many people, whether they're just coming out and saying they play it, or they're new to the game, or whatever. But D and D is it's getting a massive like in terms of like popularity resurgence, and mm-hmm. it's good to see. Because I haven't played it. I don't know an awful lot about it, but. When you when you said it, I was like, "Oh, nice!" Because I've seen so many other people saying it now, um, yeah. And I'm glad that those kind of stupid bloody barriers that people put up, where oh, I can't tell people I like this because, oh, you know, people will say yeah. this and point things. I mean, people like what they like. But other people should just zip it. So I'm glad to hear I that agree. you're doing this, man. And I hear that it's a great communal experience. And I also heard on, yeah. on the grapevine that Disney were going to produce a prequel about you know um, coffee addict goblins. So now I know what that means. Oh. Yeah, I, I it did get greenlit as soon as they I. They knew um, helmet it. Oh, um, it'll be a, a prequel, uh, live action but animated uh, movie. Um, anyways, that's our episode for the week, folks. That's how we were saying bloody awesome. We look forward to our next episode where we're going to be reviewing the Netflix original film uh, #Hashtag Alive. Um, it, it's not a new release. It's been out for a couple of weeks, but we've been meaning to get to it. We've heard some good things, so we decided that's where we're going to jump. Um. Listeners, if you are going to recommend that we watch one cut of the dead instead and make this even more like we're the slash film cast, uh, don't worry. I've already seen one cut of the dead and it's amazing. If you haven't, Matt, you should totally invest in Shudder so that you can see it. I have Shudder. Even more reason you should watch it. Well, I, I, I may even watch it after this show because I've just talked about switching off. But I mean, I'm in mm. the movie zone. I'm in movie mode now and I've got the I've got the TV and PlayStation on in the background quietly so i'm with the foot with the soccer highlights so why not turn off that bloody awful soccer rubbish and put um put one cut exactly 
Well, that's it, folks. We'll be back next week with our review of Alive, and Matt will have a mini review of One Cut of the Dead. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media, I think is the phrase. Um, Matt, where can they find us on Twitter? Uh, at BAMP underscore podcast. B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And then on Instagram, we are Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Uh, you can, of course, search us on Facebook if that's where you still like to uh, incite self-torture as you read horrible posts from horrible people but nonetheless uh you can follow us individually on social media i'm at burke reviews on twitter instagram letterbox and matt uh what i watched tonight all one word uh on instagram letterbox twitter what i watched tonight.co.uk as well and if you like the podcast if you like what we're doing here on vamp uh one you should follow us on astrology and maybe on moviecast and maybe on the back row um but you should also rate and review the bloody awesome movie podcast it helps other people find us and uh enjoy what we do um and that's it we're done uh we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.